0: quick. I just want to know how everyone's Thanksgiving went. So we're going to do this on the count of three. I'm going to go like one, two, three, and you're going to either shout good or great. Don't shout bad because your, your family's here and they don't want to hear it. So count of three, one, two, three. I think that was like one third of you because I can see you. So let's try it again. One, two, three. That was awesome. Good job, guys. Mine was great as well. Uh, we spent it with my parents over in Bend. Beautiful drive. I uh, got to come back and my wife's super annoyed because I like to take pictures, for those of you that don't know me. And the, have any of you guys been over that pass, Mackenzie Pass? So beautiful. And every 10 minutes, I'm like, hey, got to stop, pull out the drone, pull out the camera. She's like, the baby's here, the dog's here. Like, do you have to do this? I'm like, it's for the gram, dear. It's for the gram. Like, she just doesn't, she's not an artiste like me. So she just doesn't get, it. She doesn't get it. I'm just kidding. But hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Uh, pull up your Bible app if you're on there. Go to the events. It's, it's going to be good. Uh, double check me. So I love to share this story. When I was a youth pastor, I had this whole sermon I preached where I went through the whole thing. At the end, the kids responded. I'm like, how many of you just really felt like God moved? Love that sermon. They're like, oh, me, 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 pastor. And I'm like, that's awesome. Do you know everything I said wasn't in the Bible? And they just stared at me with like big deer eyes. And I'm like, go ahead, look for it. And they're like, this book doesn't even exist. And I'm like, I know that's why you need to be reading, bringing your Bibles and checking up on me. Paul actually like like uh, bragged about churches that would pull out the scripture and read along and make sure that what he said was accurate. So I just want to tell you guys, I am uh, fallible. I make mistakes. I say silly things. So make sure you're in the Bible app. So if I mess up, you can holler, throw tomatoes. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. But Hey, we're going to jump into scripture. And before we do, we're in week four, chapter four of Colossians. And I love this passage because Paul is like so upbeat and happy. Usually pastor Brent, when he gives me a message, it's like, Hey, this is kind of challenging and hard and I don't want to touch it. You got it, Todd. I'm like, thanks, Pastor. This is going to be great. But this week, I had something that was just so much fun. It was so happy, so positive. And in this text, Paul breaks it down into two parts. Overarching, he's talking about evangelism, how we can reach out to the unbelievers. But he breaks it into two parts. And the first one is this, our indirect involvement in evangelism. And the second part breaks down into our direct involvement. Now, some of us, uh, either side may hit us differently. Some of us like to be kind of in the background We're like, hey, if I can you know, uh, help in the background, not be seen. That'd be great. Some of us are like, I want to be up front. I really want to go for it. Uh, so this kind of speaks to both parties in this, but if you are in Colossians chapter four, say there, that was so good. That's so good. For those of you that aren't there, uh, we got it on here. So now we're all there. It's going to be good. Uh, starting in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer. Everybody say prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Wow, that's, that's fitting, right? And pray for us also that God may open a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ, an account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this awesome church. I thank you for this awesome season where we're reminded to be thankful for what we have, that we get to remember who you are how you created us, the blessing of family and food and coming together. God, we thank you that your your favor shines in our lives in ways we don't even understand. God, we thank you that you're the God that gives thanks and, and gives us reason to think. In your name we pray this morning. Amen. How many of you guys can remember like some of the first movies you ever saw in theaters? Like what are some of them? Go ahead, shout them out. Ninja Turtles, that one's really good. Some of you are like, don't age me like that, man. It's cool. It's cool. So my very first movie ever seeing was The Lion King. I was four years old. My aunt took me, and it was very memorable for both me and her because I remember I got there. We get about halfway through the movie. She loads me up with popcorn, soda, and candy, and I just like let it out everywhere (laughs) on the seats in front of me. It was gross, and so she takes me away, so I'm like, wow. My first chance to see a movie and I don't even get to see it. It was it was awesome. And so my mom waited until I was like almost 10 years old before she took me to another movie. And that movie was uh, Star Wars Episode One. We got any Star Wars fans out here? Yeah. Awesome. So uh, as a kid, my mom told me that the reason she took me was because when I was like super little, the only movie she could put on that I would sit through and watch the entire thing was the original Star Wars trilogy. She's like, I, don't, I can't explain it. You just loved it. So she's like, when you were like 9 or 10, you were struggling in school. And so I told you, if you're good, if you do good for good grades, you can keep them up. I will take you to uh, Star Wars for your first movie. And I was super pumped. I was like, I'll do great because it's like three weeks of school. I was like, how hard could it be? I got this. So I, I worked hard. We did it. And my mom not only took me to this movie, but she surprised me with a Happy Meal. It was awesome. I got my chicken nuggets. It was like top 10 best days of my life. And I show up and we watch the movie, and my mom's like expecting me to be blown away. And she, after the movie's over, she looks at me, and I'm like tearing up, crying. And she's like, What's wrong? And I'm like, My favorite character wasn't in the movie. I don't understand. And she's like, Like Darth Vader? Do you mean Darth Vader? And I was like, No. She's like, Do you mean Luke Skywalker? Han Solo? No. Who's your favorite? I was like, The the, the guys in white, the army guys, where are they? She's like, The bad guys, the stormtroopers? And I'm like, Yeah, mom, I'm like they're awesome. She's like, What are you talking about? They're the bad guys. I'm like, Um, One, they get the cushy place. They don't have to stay in these cold plants or anything. They're like on these super cool spaceships traveling through space. Two, they get these awesome matching uniforms. You don't even have to think of what you're gonna wear. It's black and white. I mean, come on, they get free guns. I guarantee you the benefits are out of this world working for them compared to the rebels. I'm like, come on mom, like these guys, they got it going on. They're front lines, traveling the world, seeing it all. I mean, Darth Vader seems pretty cool as a boss. Like it, it just looks really cushy. And she's like, you are a strange kid. I say all that to say this, today we're going to talk about stormtroopers in the Bible. What I love about stormtroopers, this was actually a term used in World War I and World War II of the the people in the army that would go first, front lines, battle trooping, and Paul and the people in this chapter that he references, like Timothy, are the stormtroopers of the gospel. They're running in, they're going to places that the gospel has never been preached, talking to people that have never heard about God or Jesus, and they're on these front lines. And so in this first part of the passage, when Paul's talking about the story, he's referencing being a stormtrooper, being on the front lines of the gospel. See, prayer as a Christian isn't our intercom to God to to fulfill our domestic needs. Some of us, we pray because we're like, God, I stubbed my toe. If you could take that pain away because the Tylenol's out, I just appreciate it. God, this turkey's a little overdone. Can you bring it back in the name of the Lord? Like, God, that car looks better than mine. Like, what can you do about that? Sadly, that's how a lot of our prayer lives work. But prayer isn't supposed to be some way for us to get our domestic needs met. But it's supposed to be a walkie-talkie between Christian soldiers and headquarters. And so it's a way for us to help the people that are storming the front gates. See, Paul in this passage, he's in a spiritual battle. And he's, he's meeting some great counterforce. In fact, he's in jail. And now as a prisoner of spiritual warfare, he smuggles out a letter to the fellow Christians. And he's saying... I need you to get on your walkie talkies and I need you to pray to the headquarters that they would just blow this prison open. So I can get back to mission of spreading the gospel of changing lives for Jesus. See, the point is this, the soldiers in the rear with their walkie talkies are crucial to the frontline success of spreading the gospel. Because if that weren't true, this whole passage would not make any sense. It'd be a sham. This passage kind of talks to us in two ways. What to pray, how to pray, and how we can support those like missionaries, pastors who are on the front lines of the gospel. See, now, analogies are kind of imperfect. Stormtroopers are kind of imperfect. I mean, have you ever seen them shoot? They miss all the time. So we're going to kind of jump into this passage a little bit. Starting in verse 2, when he talks about how to pray, he says persistently. He says continue steadfastly in prayer. Some translations say be devoted to prayer. How many of you guys have ever been devoted in your life? If you're married and you're not raising your hand, you're in big trouble on the way home. I mean, come on. Come on. We're devoted to things. When we're devoted to something, it's of utmost importance. It's in the forefront of our mind. See, prayer isn't like our cell phones where we, if we put it away and we leave it on the charger, it, it gains in power. And when we use it, it, it depletes in power. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Prayer is empowered the more that we pick it up. And when we put it aside, it begins to lose its power. If you want to have a crucial role in the life of the church, if you want to have a crucial role in spiritual warfare, then you have to be a soldier on their walkie-talkie. You've got to be on it every day, all the time. If you're somebody that I'm going through a hard time, and I, and I tell you, and you're like, that's, that sucks, man. sucks to be you. That, that's terrible. And you're not willing to pray for me to help meet those needs, how I many you guys know we're not going to share with those people anymore? I don't need somebody to tell me, like, good luck, champ, you got this. I need somebody that's going to be like, dude, you're you are on my mind. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to encourage you. Those are the people that we go to. If you want to be a Christian, that makes a difference. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be in prayer. Secondly, it says that we do this watchfully. And the second verse, it continues. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it. Can I tell you, that means the enemy is going to try to get us away from our walkie-talkie. How many of you guys have ever had a little sibling? And you know when you have something cool or shiny, they just, they just want to steal it out of your hands. They just want to take it out of your hands. The enemy wants to pry the walkie-talkie out of your hands. He doesn't want you to pray. And he does this in three major ways. He, he, he tries to jam our airwaves. He tries to steal the transmitter. Or he tries to put you to sleep. See, he jams our airwaves by filling our lives with clutter of non-essential things. This season, ironically, it's, it's called Christmas. It's about Christ. It's about his birthday. It's his party. I think of the office. Happy birthday, Jesus. Sorry, your party's so lame. Because we get so distracted in our life. We're like, Jesus, we're doing all these things to celebrate you, but you're the furthest thing from our minds. Our lives can be cluttered with so many things, so many checklists to get off that we miss the whole point of prayer. Secondly, he steals our transmitter by convincing us that it doesn't work in the first place. How many of you guys have ever prayed for something? You've prayed, you prayed, and you felt like nothing happened. If we're we're all honest, we've all felt that way. Can I tell you, one of the scriptures that really changed my heart, changed my mind, in Revelation, it says that all the prayers of the Christian that weren't answered gets put in this huge bowl. He calls it one of the bowls of wrath. I think it's, it's got a cool name. It's like a metal band, bowl of wrath. It's cool. But he puts all of our prayers in this bowl, and it says on the last days he's going to pour it out on this earth. So every prayer that we've prayed, whether we see it met now or met later, is not unheard by God. Don't let the enemy trick you. Every prayer is important. Every prayer is heard. Did you know there's stories, in fact, that Jesus himself prayed for things, and it took him more than one prayer to do so? In fact, when Jesus talks about prayer, Usually he's talking about being persistent and steadfast, saying he uses stories about like a widow that wants justice and she annoys the judge so much that he's finally like, fine, I'll give it to you. Just leave me alone. And he's saying if that evil judge would do that, how much more your God who loves you. Be persistent in your prayer. Don't be fooled that it doesn't work. Lastly, he puts us to sleep by honestly making our life unhealthy. How many of you guys know when we stay up too late and we go to do things the next day, we don't do as well as we should have? We lose concentration. Some of us, the most spiritual thing we can do is eat a snack and take a nap. I mean, I'm talking story of Elijah. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm telling you guys, if your life, if you're one of those people that doesn't sleep, is all over the place and everything, you just need to stop and realize that not everything is in your control. And the best thing that we can do is be well rested and prepared so that we, when the time is right, can be counted upon. See, the only way to get victory over Satan is to be watchful. Every Christian's life should be marked with vigilance. Be the Batman of Christianity. It's going to be good. Number three, he tells us to do this thankfully. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See, at times, as Christians, our hearts may be thumping out of our chest. Our hands may be clammy. We may be terrified and scared. But as Christian soldiers, we carry on. Because we serve the king who's not just going to win, but who is already victorious. Who has already triumphed. We're going into a war where we're not uncertain. We already know how it ends. Headquarters in heaven is in control. And progress is being made on all fronts all over the world. The Lord and his victory was guaranteed on the cross and the resurrection and the tomb. And he is leading his church in triumph right now. Our prayer is to be done with Thanksgiving because we know that the battle's won. That things aren't hopeless. No matter how they may seem in this moment, it's all insignificant compared to the greater war ahead guys, the victory is already won, and if some of us just grasp that, even myself grasp that a little bit better, how much more bold would we be in our prayer, in our evangelism, in our lives? The battle is already won. So I've told you how to pray, but some of you are wondering, that's great, but what what do I even pray about? I don't don't know the words. Well, Paul continues and talks about this in verse 3 and verse 4. See, he tells us to pray for the stormtroopers. I love that. In verse 3, it starts with, pray for us also. See, all Christians are soldiers, according to the Bible, and all Christians have walkie-talkies that allow them to talk to God. How many of you guys know, in a battle, the roles and the assignments, they differ. Different people do different things. In fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, he has given some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. We call these frontline workers the stormtroopers. All Christians be using their walkie-talkies for the sake of the stormtroopers. Every single Christian, every single person in this room should have a missionary or a pastor that they specifically pray for every single day. I'd encourage you, if you're somebody that doesn't know what to pray for, grab a name of a pastor or a missionary that's affected your life and pray for them every day. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. See, he also tells us to pray for opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed. Verse 3 says, Pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word. See, now there's a difference in life between an ordinary circumstance to share the gospel and a supernatural circumstance. Now, ordinary opportunities come up all the time, but these special circumstances, they're not as frequent. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And in 2 Corinthians 2, he said, when I come to the Troes to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, a door was opened for me and the Lord. We see that prayers open doors. It's not my love that opens the doors. It's my prayers. It opens doors. This should be a constant request before us. We should constantly be praying for missionaries and pastors. Every morning after I meet with Brent, I pray for him. And I say, God, just make him a little more handsome. Just make him a little more buff. Just make Hosanna love him a little bit more every day. No, I'm just kidding. I pray for him every single day. I pray for charity every single day. I have pastors that affected my life in the past that I pray for every single day. Because can I tell you, you can never pray for somebody enough. You can never pray for somebody enough. Number three, it says, Pray for the mystery of Christ to be made plain. I think this is interesting because Paul, in this verse, he ends with, To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it as clear as I ought to speak. Isn't it interesting that he's not praying solely to be released from prison, but he's praying that while he's in prison, that he would have opportunities to share the gospel? How much of our life would be different if we didn't say, God, get me out of this bad situation? God, this is hard. God, help, 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 help. And we changed it to, God, while I'm in this circumstance, how can I share the gospel? God, while I'm in this relationship that I don't like, that it's, it's brutal, how can I pray for this person? God, while I'm in these hard circumstances, how can I make much of you? Because when we begin to die to ourselves and make much of Christ, it doesn't become about our comfort. It becomes about his glory. The goal of evangelism is, is to make the mystery of the gospel clear. See, the gospel is a mystery, not because it's some Sherlock Holmes-type discovery, but because if God didn't make it plain, it wouldn't be known. It actually says in the gospels and in this passage that all the people that lived in the Old Testament, all the prophets, everything they were hoping for, we live in now. They saw small parts of who Jesus was, what the Christian life was going to be, and it says that they desired it with their whole hearts. And we have regular access to it. I think it's crazy. You know, there's countries in the world where people don't even have access to the Bible. That they get one page at a time as people are translating it, and they devour those pages, like maybe literally, but probably figuratively. They devour these pages, and they're just constantly going over and over and over, excited to learn more about Jesus. And sometimes we can't even bother to open up the Bible app. I mean, I'm, I'm just being real. We take for granted something that people would have died to just get a small portion of. See, these mysteries were hidden in the age, but God has chosen now to reveal it to the world, and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. How many of you struggle to watch sports? Let's just be honest. I was, like, super shocked last week when Pastor Brent's like, you know, statistically, there's only 11 minutes of actual playtime in any NFL game, and I was like, wow, that's more than I thought. I thought it was like three. It it shocked me. And so we're watching the football game for Thanksgiving, and I am struggling. My grandparents are loving it, and I am just struggling. And they're like, Ty, what's the matter? I was like, I just, dude, I'm not a good spectator. I want to be doing something. Like, I just struggle to sit on the couch and be like, yep. That guy fell down. He just got $2 million to fall down. Like, good for you, bud. It just makes no sense to me. I struggle. I wanna get my hands dirty. You guys know what I'm talking about? My wife makes fun of me, because she's like, let's go on vacation. And I'm like, cool, the first thing I do is what can I get done while I'm on vacation? She's like, I don't feel like you get it. And I'm like, relaxing to me is not relaxing. Like sitting back and, and, and laying back, and I'm like, man, all the things that I could be doing right now. I just don't relax well. It's it's rough, to be honest. Like. I like to do fun things, but I like to do things. I don't like to just sit and, and chit-chat. I like to get my hands dirty. And some of you may be like me, and this first portion was really hard because you're like, so you, you just want me to chill at home and pray? Like, prayer is important, and I get that, but I want to get my hands dirty. How many of you guys know when you when you get involved with something, it's different from, like, everybody is a coach when they're standing on the sidelines, and they're like, oh, yeah, da, 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 you should have done this. But when you become the coach, it's a little different. When you begin to put your hands In the game, when you begin to not just list off problems, but be a part of solutions, it changes how you see things. And in verse 5 and 6, Paul's going to transition from simply, hey, pray for us while we do the work, to, now this is what you can do. This is what you can do. He says this, conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders. Make the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with Johnny seasoned salt, because it's so, so good. So that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Who? Everyone. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. So point number two, direct involvement happens through conduct and speech. See, this verse, some of us, like we have unchristian family members, we have unchristian friends, and we're sitting there wondering... What am I supposed to do with them? Like, do I just not interact with them anymore? Do I still do the same things to be around them? Like, what am I supposed to do? And these verses tell us exactly how we're supposed to treat the unbelievers in our life. It tells us that we can accomplish so much spiritual good in every single moment if we'll just be intentional. See, he means in verse 5 that we ought to make most of the time. That's what he says, and this literally translates to buy up every opportunity. Consider life a stock market and make every moment a purchase. See, no moment is insignificant for the Christian who is devoted to the purchase of life's moments. Now, how can we make most of every opportunity? Firstly, we use wise behavior. It says, conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders. See, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God. It's that simple. It's how to become all things to men without compromising holiness. That's wisdom. And the Bible gives us four ways to grow in wisdom. It says this, to meditate on the scriptures. We find that in Psalms 19. It says that we pray in James 1. It says if any of you is lacking wisdom, do what? Pray that God will give it to you. It says to, to find sound counselors. The book of Proverbs is full of it. Now, it says sound counselors, so don't just jump on Facebook and say, I have this problem, what's going on? But find <laughs> wise people in your life who will pour into your life, who will tell you when your armpits stink, who will tell you when your life is inconsistent with what you say. See, and the last thing we can do is practice the principles in real life experience. Hebrews 5 tells us that. That it's not simply having the right knowledge but it's living that knowledge out every single day. Secondly, he tells us that we should have salty speech. Now, that means something different in today's culture, so let me let me clarify. He's not saying to be salty to everyone. He's not saying to say things that are sassy and, and hurtful and unkind. He's telling us quite the opposite. He's saying that everything you say shouldn't be an encouragement to others. Let your speech always win, Always be gracious. Do you know what they said about me? Always. Do you know what they did? Always. Do you know who they are? Always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. Now, can I tell you, this is a lot easier said than lived out. How many of us know, like, we teach our kids, and we're like, hey, it doesn't matter what your what your friend did or your sibling did. Always be kind. And then it happens to us, and we're like, oh, I'm not going to be so kind. <laughs> you're driving down I-5, and somebody swerves in front of you and begins to slow down, and you're like, Man, I want to lay hands on you, but not to pray, my brother, like, what is going on here? I may be guilty of turning my brights on behind people a time or two, but I've repented of those ways. Till Tuesday when I have to drive it again, but yeah. no, no, I'm just kidding. But, but it says to always be gracious. This is hard. We can simply pass through this in Scripture and be like, yeah, that's, that's a good principle, but to truly live this out is hard. It's hard. I take this to mean that what we say about Christ is important. Salt makes things appetizing. When you begin to put a, a good rub on a steak, it changes and enhances the flavor. And can I be, just be honest? Some of us struggle with being salty in our life, with having gracious speech, because our life and our taste buds are bland, because we don't even spend enough time with Jesus. It's hard to brag upon something that you don't even know about. My mom... Uh, is part. I, hopefully, she's not watching. She's part of what I like to call a pyramid scheme called Mary Kay Cosmetics, and so every holiday, every interaction, she's always like, "They look like they could use, they could use a new lipstick." And I'm just like, "Oh my goodness." My mom believes in it. She loves it. She's she takes pride in it. I do not believe in it, which makes it really hard for me to speak positively about it. If you're going to brag about Jesus, if you're going to to. At be an advertisement for Jesus so that others want to take part. You got to be in love with Jesus. You're not, people can tell when you're being fake. You got to look in your Bible and you got to pray every single day that Jesus re- would remind you of how good he's been in your life. If you love something, you don't have to tell people, it just naturally overflows into your life. If you fill yourself with Jesus, he's going to overflow in your life. Amen? So, how can you speak about Jesus? if there's no flavor in it. See, we need to spend that time with Jesus. We need to spend that time with Jesus. And we need to take every opportunity in this life, when we're around our neighbors, when we're around our family at Thanksgiving or Christmas, when we're doing our job, when we're having fun, when we're living our hobbies, when we're at school, we need to take every opportunity and say, how can I be gracious in my speech? How can I make people's mouth water for Jesus? Lastly, it talks about giving individual attention to each person. In verse 6, it says this, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. That's big. That's big. It's not saying answer everyone that's like you. It's not saying answer everyone that asks a question that you know the answer. It's saying how can you give an answer to everyone, to every single person. See, each person is unique in this world. In each situation is unique. I love cookie-cutter answers, they're my favorite. I love to Google things and be like, if it worked for them, it's gotta work for me. But sadly, all of us know life isn't that simple. A big, a big statement in our big philosophy nowadays is what works for you is good for you, what works for me is good for me. And there's, there's some truth to that. There's, some, there's definitely some foundational truths that are universal for everyone. But there's some minute subtlety to everybody's life. I like chicken nuggets at McDonald's, some of you may not. I like to not work out and work out by putting more burgers in my mouth. Some of you are wiser than me, that's okay. I like Star Wars, some of you may not. I like wearing boots, some of you are heathens and you wear J's, it's weird, but it's cool. It's totally cool because we're all unique and that's to be celebrated. We live in a world of diversity and that's awesome. But here's the point, that means we need to individualize our approach for each person and situation. We need wisdom in order to do this. Because how many of you guys know discernment requires wisdom? If we're going to meet every individual's question in every individual's life, we need that wisdom that we've been talking about. As the band comes up, I'm going to end with this story before we move forward. This last Thanksgiving, uh, it was really fun. My fa- we went with uh, my family's instead of my in-laws. I love going to my in-laws because my mother-in-law is like the definition of gracious speech. Like, I could be the biggest butt in the world. And she's like, Ty, you're amazing. Ty, you're great. She's watching. I saw she was watching the sermon today. She's amazing. Uh, they're the most encouraging people. I love spending time with them. My family, uh, we love each other, but you would have to look real deep to see it sometimes because we like to poke and prod. And so at Thanksgiving this year, we spent it with my family. And it's this kind of interesting thing that right around 10 o'clock, my mom is getting frustrated. She's like, oh and like kind of mumbling and you know everybody get out of the kitchen everybody get out of the kitchen my dad's decided that he's gonna use his trigger to smoke a turkey this year even though he's never done it so he's getting frustrated and then they start talking and then they both get more frustrated and then my grandparents show up and my grandma likes to tell my mom you know what she did wrong and I find it hilarious (laughs) because me and Rachel are those family members that when they text out who to bring what they say go ahead and bring the dinner rolls and I'm like you can do you got it I'll even bring some soda because I'm that generous. I think it's good. And so we just show up and throw the stuff on the counter, and we're done. And so I find it really, really hilarious to watch. So um, afterwards, like, we have the new baby, so we're kind of, like, you know, in this cool spot. But um, Thanksgiving is over, and Thanksgiving is, is stressful. So the next day, family wants to come over again because they got to see um, Thea for the first time. And my mom was like, we're just going to keep it simple. So we're just going to have spaghetti. And I'm like, Simple. That doesn't sound as entertaining to me as yesterday was what can i do and so my mom's making spaghetti and i walk in and i'm looking at it and i was like mom where's the meatballs and she's like no no no. i put i ground up the beef and it's in the sauce and i'm like mom every time rachel makes me spaghetti she makes it with meatballs every time (laughs) and so my mom was like do you need me to make meatballs and i was like you know I i think that would be really helpful yeah Okay. And so next thing you know, my sister's cracking up. And so my sister comes in and she's like, Mom, you know, me and me and Adrian are trying to live a really healthy life. We don't want meat in our spaghetti. And my mom's like, are you serious? And so she's like, all right, I'll make another round of sauce with just, with no meat in it. And then my, my dad walks in. And the funny part is he doesn't even know what we're doing. And he's like, why, why are you making it like this? You know that's not how I like it. So he, So he has her, she's like, okay. I'll make another batch. And then uh, my wife comes in and, and she's she feels so bad, but she's like, um, you know, Shelly, she's like, you made uh, the garlic bread with regular butter and the baby's allergic to dairy so, and I'm breastfeeding so I can't, I can't eat that. And my mom's like, I'll make another batch of bread and we'll use the almond butter. And I'm just like dying. Now you guys know why I don't have a lot of friends because I find this hilarious, but I'm just dying in this situation. And I'm just thinking, like, what else can we add? And um, my mom's like, you know, Ty, it's really interesting to me. And I was like, well, she's like, you know, I love you guys, so I'm going to spend time in each and do a little thing. But she's like, do you remember growing up and being poor? And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, do you remember how I'd make spaghetti then? And I'm just like, I, like, instantly start to gag because I think about it. My family used to take top ramen, like the beef flavored, and make it and then pour tomato soup on top, stir it around. They're like, there's your spaghetti. And I, so for the longest time, I was like, I do not like spaghetti, it is gross. And then I, somebody else made spaghetti, and I'm like, oh and I eat I'm like, this is the greatest thing that's ever. Like, have you told people about this recipe? Like, and they're like, yeah, it's from Olive Garden. I'm like, oh man, we gotta get the word out. Spaghetti is delicious. It overflowed from my life, more ways than one. And so, it's interesting, as I began to get older and, and, and taste the real stuff, my, my taste buds began to change. And as I got older and and you know Rachel came in my life my in-laws my family uh, recipes begin to change and everything and food changed because there's differences in people and it's subtle but it's important when we read this passage it's it can be easy to be overwhelmed by what do you mean we have to have the answers for everyone what it's saying is be so gracious be so loving be so in love with Jesus that this isn't a chore but that you just love God and you love people and you feel the need. You feel the need. When you're, can I just tell you, one of the greatest things that was ever spoken to me that I I hold on to every single day is it's like, everybody has a ministry, but not every ministry is your ministry. Some of you, uh, worship ministry is not your ministry and you can come up here and we'll all know why, right? Uh, We all have a ministry, but we all have some things that aren't our ministry. So the important thing with wisdom is discerning, God, what are you holding me accountable to? What have you uniquely called me to? And I'll just say it like this. Some of you have neighbors, that not everyone in this room has the same neighbors. Some of you work at a place and we don't work there. Some of you go to school in a place and we don't go to school there. So each of us has relationships that we can speak into that no one else can. That's what God's holding you responsible for. So rather, don't don't feel like you need to run out of this room and go down the streets and every single person you meet, you need to just be like, do you love Jesus yet? Like, how can I help you? But as you're living your life, use wisdom to make the most of every single moment. Be intentional. Be intentional. As the rest of the band comes up, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to end in, in a little different way. I have a few volunteers that are going to come up and they're going to hand each of us a piece of paper. And here's what I want to do. On this piece of paper, I want us to write who directly we're going to be gracious to, whose life we're going to season with the salt of the gospel. So through this week, through this month, through the rest of this year, you're going to put this person down, and you're going to walk up, and you're going to drop it in this basket. And it's going to be a reminder between you and God and saying, God, every interaction I have with this person, I want to make much of you in it. And then while you're coming up to drop that in the basket, you're also going to reach into this green basket. And we have the name of every missionary that we support as a church. You're going to take out one name if you want to take two. That's totally cool too. But you're going to take out one name and you're going to pray for that missionary every day for this week, for this month, for this year. It sounds weird and it sounds kind of thing, but how many of you guys know we're forgetful people? We leave here, I'm even guilty of it. I'll preach a message and then three days later, i be like, Rachel, do you remember what I talked about? I'll have to watch it over again. Life moves quickly. This season moves quickly. The season can be busy. And this is just a tangible way for us to be reminded of who we're going, whose life we're going to season and which stormtrooper we're going to pray for. Amen? So go ahead and fill those out. And when you're done, just, you know, be a a leader, set a trend, come up, drop it in the blue basket, and grab a name out of the green basket, and they're going to play us some sweet tunes as we do so.